So in about two weeks, my daughter Sammy is going to be finishing her junior year in high school. Even saying that out loud, I can't believe it. I mean, it seems like just yesterday we were getting ready for this big transition into middle school. And it really wasn't that long ago that we walked into kindergarten for the first time. I mean, where has the time gone? I mean, it, it really wasn't that long ago that we were sitting on a couch, eating cereal in the morning, watching Wiggles before we got ready for school. That's actually my favorite memory with my daughter. Just sitting on the couch, eating cereal in the morning before we got ready, either watching Wiggles or whatever other Disney Channel show was on. You know, when Kim and I were talking about what we miss most and the, the memories that we have with Sammy when she was small, she said that her favorite memory was getting to buy all the clothes for Sammy. <laughs> See, she would buy the clothes, Sammy would wear the clothes, end of story. <laughs> but it turns out when you have a daughter that has her own job, she can buy her own clothes, and she's developed a style all her own. Now, mom and dad still get the final okay for, for what clothes she's going to get, but there's definitely a whole style all of her own. I remember one time we went shopping for, uh, I think it was back to, back to school, and we were going through the mall. And I started to notice that, you know, there's tons of stores there, but I started to notice that every one of those stores had pretty much the same selection. But it seems like the stores like H&M or Forever 21, they were pretty proud of their stuff because it costs a little bit more than other stores. I mean, they had gray t-shirts that are in Forever 21 that cost more than the identical gray t-shirt at JCPenney or Target. And I think the reason for that is because it has a label. And that label, that means something. I mean, in our society, if you have a gray t-shirt with a label or a swoosh on your sneakers, that's a status symbol. If it comes from a popular store, people will pay more for it because of that label. Labels make all the difference. And it's not just for clothes. It's for different products as well. Clothes, food, electronics, sporting goods, cars, so much more. Depending on the label, they may cost more. Now, it's not just things that get labels. We put labels on people, too. I mean, there could be two men that live on the same street. They live in identical houses. They drive identical cars. They have identical salaries. But if one man is a garbage man and one man is an accountant, for some reason we label the accountant as more successful. And you know, these labels, they start out pretty early. If a kid makes another kid laugh in school, he's labeled as a class clown. If, if another kid excels in math or science, that kid is labeled as, as a nerd. Guys on the football team are labeled as jocks. Labels that we put on people, they seem to be more for how other people see people 
than how a person sees themselves. Sometimes labels can be where, where we are in life. Again, when Sammy was small and we'd go through her elementary school to like parent-teacher conferences or something, other kids would walk up and my label was, hi, Sammy's dad. As a culture, we use labels to describe people. And we put a lot of importance on these labels. But unfortunately, sometimes these labels have a negative connotation. We end up letting these labels stick to us when they've been defined by other people. So let me ask you a question. What's your label? How, have, how has other people described you? Have you been called a klutz so many times after accidents that now you just call yourself a klutz? Maybe you kind of fade into the background of your family, so your label is so-and-so's mom or this person's spouse. Has the memory of a failure kept on coming over and over and over again? And so now you just call yourself a, a failure? What's your label? Who or what are you? No, really, I'm, I'm asking. <laughs> okay. I'm a workaholic. Workaholic, okay. That'll work. That'll work. No pun intended. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's a great example. Here's what I want you all to do. I want you to get in your mind, I am, and then just finish the sentence in your mind. And kind of keep that, think about that for a minute. I am and then just finish the sentence. Today we're going to be starting a short sermon series on some of Jesus' most famous teachings. And those teachings are from something called the Sermon on the Mount. And it takes up three chapters in the book of Matthew. And in this sermon, Jesus taught about a whole bunch of things. He talked about loving your enemies, about prayer, about adultery, and a lot of other things. And in this series, we're going to touch on a few of those different things. Now, the part that we're going to be looking at today is in Matthew 5. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open those up to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible and you want to use the few Bibles there in front of you, uh, our passage is on page 958. So we're going to be starting with verse 13 of Matthew 5, and this is where Jesus labels his disciples. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Jocks, nerds, class clowns. I've heard a bunch of different labels in my life, but I've never heard anybody labeled as salt. Why would Jesus label somebody as salt? Today, salt isn't really that big of a deal. 
I mean, unless McDonald's forgets to put it on your French fries, and then it becomes a very big deal. But back in the first century, it was very important. I mean, you couldn't just run down to the local Fred Meyer and grab a container of salt. It actually had to be mined out of a quarry. And when that happened, when it was dug out of a quarry, it was never completely pure. There was always a bunch of other stuff in it. And when that happened, when there was too much other stuff in it, it just had to be thrown out. It was put on the streets to harden the streets for people to walk on. So when Jesus labeled his disciples as salt, he's saying that we, because we're Jesus' disciples too, we need to be pure salt. Our lives can't be a mixture of Christian here on Sunday and then something completely different throughout the week. You see, when you have an inconsistent life like that, it actually does two things. First, you never get any closer to Jesus. If you're taking a step towards Jesus on Sundays, and then a step away from Jesus the rest of the week, you're never getting any closer to him. And second, it actually keeps other people out of the church. You know, one of my favorite lines from one of my old pastors is, you want to know what keeps most people out of the church? Christians. Believe it or not, people are watching you. All over your life, people are watching you. They know you go to church, and they want to see how that affects you. When stuff goes sideways, how are you different because you have a belief in Jesus? Are you the same today as you were last Wednesday? Have you let the impurities in your life dilute your saltiness? One of the keys to staying the same throughout the week is we need to be authentic. We can't act like we're perfect. That doesn't work. Everybody knows that nobody's perfect. In ancient Greece, they used to put on these plays in these huge amphitheaters. And there were no cameras to magnify the people's faces. There were no microphones to amplify their voices. So they had to come up with a solution. And the solution was all the actors got these huge masks. And inside the masks were megaphones to amplify their voices. So the actors on stage got behind the mask and they actually became the people that they were acting like. Now, the Greeks had a name for these type of actors. They were called the hypocrites. And there's a lot of people out there, and unfortunately there's a bunch of people in here, that their lives are nothing more than an act. And we put the label of hypocrite on them, just like the ancient Greek actors. Jesus said in, in Matthew 23, 27, he said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. You see, God wants to change us. He loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to, for us to stay that way. He wants to change us, but he wants to change the real us. 
not the act that we put on. He wants to change us from the inside out. And when we let that happen, when we stop fighting against the will of God and we let him mold us, that's when what we look like on Wednesday starts to look like how we act on, when, on Sunday. That's when people start to see Jesus in us. That's when we start to light up a dark world. And that takes me to the next label that Jesus gives his disciples. He says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. Friends, we just spent five weeks talking about our dark world and how ways that we can overcome the darkness and every one of those ways starts with Jesus. Our world is dark. I mean, you turn on the local news, it's 20 minutes of bad news and then the weather, which lately has been bad news too. People are getting sick. Anger and hate are all over the world. Crimes are being committed all over. The world is getting darker. But the world was dark in the first century as well. People back then needed hope, just like they need hope now. And Jesus told his disciples, you are the light of the world. And then he continued. He said, a town on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, a few years ago, remember Kim was shopping for a new case for her phone. And you walk into some store and, and look at their phone cases and there's a thousand different choices, sizes, colors, and pictures, and whatever. And so she's looking at different, different uh, cases. She finally settles on one. Simple black case with a nice little pretty design on it. Perfect. She gets it, we go about our day and go home. We're getting ready for bed. I turn off the lights in the bedroom, go into the bathroom, brush my teeth and get ready for bed, come out and there's something glowing on Kim's side of the bed. So I walk over there and the pretty design on the back of the phone case was glowing in the dark. See, we didn't notice that feature when it was still light. It had to be dark to see that feature. And Jesus is saying, when, when, he, when he said that we are the light of the world, he's telling us that we were made to glow in the dark. When we gather here on Sundays and we sing songs to Jesus and we talk about Jesus and we talk to Jesus, this place is lit up with the brightness and the awesomeness of Jesus. But then we go into our work or go whatever we're going to do tomorrow morning, do we still let that light of Jesus shine? Or do we just keep it to ourselves? God is using you as a lamp to light up a dark world. And Jesus is saying, don't cover it up. Let people see my light. Let me ask you a question. How many people have ever seen a disco ball? Everybody? Okay, good. Excellent. Let me explain to you how a disco ball works. You start off with a dark room. Now, I tried earlier to turn off the lights. It doesn't matter because we have all, all these pretty lights 
it doesn't matter. Won't ever get dark in here because of the awesomeness of Jesus. <laughs> but when you start out with a dark room, people just kind of stand still. They don't want to move around. Might bump into something, might trip over something. So they're just kind of standing still, not doing anything. And then you introduce a spotlight. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The closer you are to the light, the more you can see. Farther away from the light, you can't really see that well. But then, you introduce a disco ball. And it takes that light of Jesus, and you can see on my shirt, it reflects that light everywhere. You see, when, we, when Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, he is saying that we are the disco ball. We take God's light and we reflect it everywhere. You can even see just some sparkles on the, on the walls, even though it's light in here. I mean, if it was dark in here, this place would be lit up with all these sparkles of, of God's light. He provides the light. We reflect it. And when you have a disco ball, most likely, people are dancing. Okay, Brad, that all sounds great, you might be saying. But how do I give advice to people about Jesus when I'm broken myself? They know about my past. They, they know what I've done. How am I supposed to talk to people about Jesus? There's a great song by a guy named Jason Gray, and it's called Glow in the Dark. And there's a line that says, don't be ashamed of your past if you're shattered like a piece of glass. The more broke you are, the more the light gets through. Yes, everybody knows your past. And so everybody can see the comparison between what you were and what you are now with Jesus in your life. Nobody's perfect. Everybody needs a savior. But when they see what Jesus is doing in your life, they will have to stand up and take notice. I don't know, Brad. That sounds pretty good here in a church full of light. I mean, everybody talks about Jesus here, but you don't know where I work. There's no way anybody could talk about Jesus at my work. There's no room for a disco ball in my office. Okay, maybe. But I want you to think of something. What if God saw a need for his light in your office and you are the light that he sent there? You are the light of your world. What if instead of telling somebody about Jesus this week, you showed somebody Jesus this week? Again, you don't have to preach a sermon. You don't have to recite any Bible verses. But what if this week, what if you didn't participate in the office gossip? What if when a coworker was walking down the hallway, you said, you asked them how their weekend was, and you actually stopped to listen to what they said? 
What if this week you ate your lunch in the lunchroom while reading a chapter of the Bible? So if people had questions, they could come up and talk to you. One of my favorite quotes of all time is from a guy named St. Francis of Assisi. He said, preach the gospel every day of your life, and if necessary, use words. At one point in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus got together with his disciples, and he asked them, who do people say that I am? And then in verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, Still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus responds, okay, but who do you say that I am? To which Peter answers, you're the Messiah. You're the living God. You're the son of the living God. Jesus was asking what labels people are putting on him. And then he stops him and said, okay, but what label do you put on me? He's giving us an excellent example here. Earlier, I asked you to get in your mind, I am fill in the blank. And we can look at whatever you have in your mind, good or bad. And then we can look up at Jesus and say, okay, but who do you say that I am? And he says right here in his word, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, thank you so much for today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for just labeling us so correctly. We are the salt of the earth, and we are the light of the world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for just everything you've done. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.